This is the Pick Your Poison podcast. I'm your host, Dr. JP, and I'm here to share my passion for poisons in this interactive show. Will our patients survive this podcast? It's up to you and the choices you make. Interested in toxic tea, the poison associated with werewolves, one so potent it was used on arrows to hunt bears, ibexes, and even whales? Then stay tuned. Our patient today is a 45-year-old man who presents to the emergency department complaining of numbness and tingling. He reports the symptoms started initially in his mouth, but have now spread to his entire body. He feels lightheaded and dizzy like he might pass out. He also has palpitations, a racing heart rate, and shortness of breath. He's laying on the stretcher with his eyes closed, lethargic. His skin is pale and clammy. You glance up at the monitor for his vital signs. His heart rate is 140 beats per minute, well above the upper limit of normal of 100 beats per minute. His blood pressure is 60 over 40, very low, and he's breathing rapidly at 24 beats per minute, almost twice normal. His oxygen level, though, is normal. He opens his eyes, barely, to answer your questions. He says his symptoms started one hour prior to arrival, first with just the numbness and tingling, then progressively worsening. He denies ingestion of illicit drugs, an overdose, or a suicide attempt. He reports that he takes medicine for his cholesterol, as well as occasionally acetaminophen and ibuprofen, brand names Tylenol and Motrin in the U.S., for arthritis pain in his knees. The nurse puts in an IV and starts IV fluids to raise his blood pressure. His heart rate shoots up to 180 beats per minute as an alarming rhythm races across the monitor. He clutches his chest and his blood pressure drops even lower. It's a lethal arrhythmia, ventricular tachycardia. You have a million more questions you want to ask him, but this is no time for questions. You have to do something to treat him first. You order amiodarone, an antidysrhythmic medicine, and hope it stops the ventricular tachycardia. On a positive note, the patient still has a pulse. Nevertheless, the nurse puts defibrillator pads on his chest because if he loses his pulse, will need to administer electrical shocks. Ventricular tachycardia means the heart is beating rapidly, too rapidly. It isn't pausing to relax for the heart chambers to fill with blood. This means that the patient's circulation is impaired and not enough blood is being pumped to the rest of his body. At the moment, he still has a pulse, so his circulation is enough to keep him alive. But the low blood pressure and clammy skin indicate shock. If the VTAC doesn't stop, he might not be alive for long. While waiting, let's be honest, crossing your fingers and hoping the amiodarone works, you review the patient's medications. Acetaminophen and ibuprofen are definitely not responsible for these symptoms, even in overdose. Neither are any of the anti-lipid agents for cholesterol. As for medical problems, heart disease is one of the most common causes of ventricular tachycardia. After a few minutes, some color returns to the patient's face, his heart rate slows, his blood pressure improves, and he's able to answer more questions. He says he doesn't have any prior history of heart disease and wasn't having any chest pain, leg swelling, or other symptoms of cardiovascular disease prior to today. This certainly doesn't exclude heart disease as the etiology of the VTAC, but it does make it less likely. This isn't a cardiology podcast, it's a toxicology podcast. So, What are the poisons that can cause ventricular tachycardia? This isn't question number one, because the list is way too large. 
Toxins that cause VTAC include everything from over-the-counter drugs like diphenhydramine, i.e. Benadryl, to antidysprismics themselves, to plants, jellyfish, antidepressants, antipsychotics, and drugs of abuse. You ask again about over-the-counter medicines. He denies anything other than what he's previously mentioned. And as I've said before, toxicologists love to ask about supplements. At first, he denies them, but then he says he took some herbs sent to him by his sister. His sister obtained the blend from a Chinese herbalist. He doesn't know what they were, but they were supposed to help his arthritis pain. When you ask for more details about the ingredients, he says it was a bunch of brown leaves that tasted terrible, and that's all the information he can give you. The monitor starts beeping loudly. His heart rate increases, and his blood pressure drops again. You notice that the heart rhythm has changed. It's still ventricular tachycardia, but it looks different. The rhythm seems to be alternating between two different types or morphologies of beats. You ask the tech to run an EKG for more information. After a minute, she rips the paper off the machine and hands it to you. Before you can read the EKG, the patient's eyes roll back in his head and he passes out. You immediately put your fingers on his neck. There's no pulse. If you listen to episode one, Love Hurts, then you know the first thing to do in a code. Check your own pulse. In other words, remain calm. One nurse starts CPR and you tell the other nurse to ready the defibrillator. When it's charged, you say clear and shock the patient, hoping the charge will reset his heart back into a normal rhythm. You also give another dose of amiodarone. After several shocks to your relief, you get a pulse back. You turn your attention back to the EKG in your hand. It shows bidirectional ventricular tachycardia, an extremely rare arrhythmia. VTAC is a dangerous but not particularly uncommon rhythm. Bidirectional ventricular tachycardia is a specific type of VTAC, and it is, on the other hand, extremely rare. Again, it can be caused by heart disease and other medical problems, but it can also be caused by toxins, specifically only two toxins, at least as far as I'm aware. So question number one, which of the following compounds can cause bidirectional ventricular tachycardia? A, ginseng, B, aconitine, C, digoxin, D, arsenic. The answer, B and C, aconitine and digoxin. Now your pulse is racing out of control. Why? Because this is proof that the patient ingested a very lethal poisoning. This EKG pretty much tells us what happened. No further testing required. Is this digoxin toxicity? No. If it were, the patient would have had a slow heart rate and the onset of symptoms would not have been so rapid. Also, he wouldn't be complaining of numbness and tingling. See episode one if you're interested in more details. This is a classic case of aconitine poisoning. The patient took the herb for his knee pain, and digoxin isn't used as an anti-inflammatory, whereas aconitine is in traditional Chinese medicine. We've arrived at the answer while still at the bedside very shortly after the patient got to the ER. That's not always the case in toxicology where lab tests can take weeks to result. And while it's great that we've discovered the cause, this is not great for our patient. So what now? Unfortunately, there is no antidote for aconitine poisoning. The treatment is supportive care, and we've done just about everything we can do already. You start a continuous amiodarone infusion to help, keeping an eye on the heart rhythm, 
treating with antidysrhythmics, and doing CPR or advanced life support if necessary. Aconitine is a lethal poison. The only upside is that it has a short half-life, meaning that it doesn't last for long before it's broken down by the body. Short, in this case, meaning three or four hours. There is one other option. It's drastic and not indicated at this moment, since we've gotten a pulse back and his vital signs are relatively stable. For now. But it's a good idea to call the cardiothoracic surgery team and alert them to the potential need for ECMO. What's ECMO? Extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. Essentially, it's cardiopulmonary bypass machine that circulates and oxygenates the blood. ECMO is extremely invasive and carries a lot of serious complications, including bleeding, blood clotting, loss of limbs, seizures, and strokes. If the patient's life hangs in the balance, then these risks are worth it and we'll pull out all the stops. But right now, his heart is holding its own and he's probably better off not on ECMO. So what is aconitine, and why would anyone include a lethal toxin in a mix of Chinese herbals to help with knee pain? First, let's talk about aconitine, then come back to its absolutely fascinating history a bit later in the show. Aconitine is also called aconite and aconitum, and it's been used since ancient times for both poisonous and medicinal reasons. It's found in plants of the genus aconitum, plants like monkshood and wolfsbane. Monkshood is so called after the shape of the flower. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the YouTube video or go to pickpoison.com to see a photo. Wolfsbane gets its name because the plant was used to poison animals such as wolves and panthers. Aconitine has been called the queen of poisons, and one teaspoon of pure aconitine is enough to kill several people. It has been used in traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. It was first recorded 2,000 years ago in Shenong's Materia Medica, the very first Chinese herbal medicine text. It was also used in ancient Indian Ayurvedic medicine. The ancient sources all acknowledge the dangerous nature of aconitine and prescribe strict dosing parameters. So how has a substance that's been used medicinally for thousands of years almost killed our patient in a single dose? Was the patient's sister trying to poison him? Maybe. Aconitine has certainly been used with a malicious intent for as long as it's been used for therapeutic reasons. Ovid, the Roman poet, wrote, quote, Fearsome stepmothers mix learned aconites, quote. In traditional Chinese medicine, aconitine has a number of different uses, as well as a number of different names, including chanwu and fuzi. It's used as an anti-inflammatory to treat rheumatism and joint pains, as well as a cardiotonic to treat edema or swelling. It was also used for abdominal problems, menstrual pain, and asthma. So question number two, according to traditional medicine texts, what reduces the toxicity of aconitine? A, grinding. B, harvesting only the leaves. Or C, boiling. The answer, C, boiling. You ask the patient how he prepared the herbs his sister sent. He boiled the water, mixed in a few teaspoons of leaves, then drank the decoction. There were no instructions included with the mixture. His sister had told him to make a tea and drink it if his knee pain was particularly bothersome. This isn't the preparation recommended in traditional Chinese teaching. We'll never know if the patient would have avoided toxicity if he had prepared the aconitine properly. But traditional Chinese medicine not only gives strict instructions about the dose, but strict instructions for preparation. 
Traditional Chinese and Indian texts recommend boiling the herb for extended periods of time, in some cases for up to two days, and thereafter minimal toxicity is reported. While this is an unregulated and unscientific approach to such a dangerous poison, we do know that parboiling reduces toxicity of some plants. Cassava and pokeweed are two examples of potentially toxic foods that can be made safe if properly prepared with parboiling. At a bare minimum, the aconitine leaves should be boiled for at least an hour. The patient doesn't think his sister was trying to kill him, so it's more likely the instructions were lost, either lost in translation or lost in transmission. Regardless, our patient didn't get the message on how to, at least potentially, reduce the toxicity. So how does aconitine work, and what does it do in the body that makes it so toxic? Aconitine plants contain different alkaloids of varying potency and toxicity. The alkaloids work as sodium channel openers. In the nervous system, this effect is somewhat like the effect of local anesthetics such as lidocaine, and it's the reason why patients develop numbness and tingling. In the heart, this has a far more dangerous effect. It opens sodium channels in the cardiac muscle and keeps them open. This causes uninhibited excitation of the heart muscles, in turn leading to ventricular tachycardia. The classic finding of bidirectional ventricular tachycardia is basically the arrhythmia spiraling around the heart's electrical system in a circular pattern. Aconitine is such a potent and reliable toxin that it's used in the lab for experiments on sodium channels. Interesting pharmacological properties of the plants have been exploited by practitioners of traditional medicine. Aconitine-complaining plants have a number of different compounds, as I've mentioned. Not surprisingly, those that are less toxic are typically more desirable from a medicinal standpoint. So the strict instructions given for preparing, like boiling the plant or baking the leaves, have been shown using modern scientific techniques to reduce the amount of more dangerous aconitine alkaloids. Second, the traditional method of mixing different herbals together may exploit complex pharmacological drug-drug interactions to reduce toxicity. So ginseng is sometimes given together with aconitine, and ginseng modulates enzymes that metabolize the aconitine and in lab models reduces toxicity. Licorice has also been shown to reduce toxicity in rat and mouse models. It's fascinating that doctors figured this out thousands of years before anyone knew anything about enzymes or drug-drug interactions. Despite safer methods of preparation than our patient used, I personally wouldn't take aconitine under any circumstances. Its therapeutic window is too narrow, as we say in toxicology, meaning the dose for a therapeutic effect and the dose that causes toxicity are too close together for either comfort or safety. Narrow like a razor's edge, a fact acknowledged by ancient texts. To quote a translation of a text from the 2nd century BCE, the Wainan Zi, apologies for butchering the pronunciation, quote, for all things under heaven, nothing is more vicious than the poison of aconite. Yet a good doctor packs and stores it because it is useful, end quote. In modern medicine, we thankfully have other safer drugs to treat the problems for which aconitine has been used. The risk of toxicity is higher than any benefit it might possess. For as long as it's been used in medicine, aconitine has also held a place in mythology and magical lore. Cerberus, the three-headed dog guarding the Greek underworld, was said to slaver aconitine. This is really interesting because some of the features of aconitine poisoning resemble rabies, making it a cool connection made by the Romans.
Ovid wrote of Athena sprinkling it on Arachne when turning her into a spider. And it's been suggested that the emperor Claudius was killed by his wife Agrippina using aconitine. Question number three, what magical properties have been attributed to aconitine? A, the ability to fly. B, turning people into werewolves. C, invisibility. Or D, all of the above. Answer, D, all of the above. Aconitine was said to be part of the flying ointment that witches applied to brooms to allow them to fly. It was thought to have the ability to turn people into werewolves, and it was even said to give witches invisibility when carried, for some reason, in lizard skin. In the modern story of Harry Potter, Severus Snape brews a wolfsbane potion for Professor Lupin to prevent him from turning into a werewolf. Lycanthropism is the delusion that one is a werewolf, and this was reportedly treated with wolfsbane in the Middle Ages. Extremely doubtful it improved patient outcomes, however. Aconitine is so toxic it has also been used in warfare. The Greeks used it to poison spear tips, and poisoned arrows were used in hunting bears, ibexes, and even whales in Alaska by native Alaskans. Recently, aconitine was touted as a treatment of for COVID-19 by the president of Kyrgyzstan, causing several people to be admitted to the hospital with aconitine poisoning. COVID is bad enough without being poisoned on top of it. What happened to our patient? If you made the right choices, he survived. The antidysrhythmics worked, and after several hours, symptoms gradually resolved. This is a fictional case, as are all our cases, to protect the innocent, but it is based on real poisonings that have occurred periodically. Several years ago in San Francisco, two people were poisoned, and one died after ingesting aconitine for medicinal purposes from a Chinese herbalist. So this brings us to the last question in today's interactive podcast. Which character from Greek mythology attempted to poison someone with aconitine? A. Medusa, B. Penelope, C. Persephone, or D. Medea? Post your answers on our Twitter feed at PickPoison1, and I'll post the answer in the next 24 hours. Finally, thanks for your attention. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making the podcast. It helps if you subscribe, leave reviews, and or tell your friends. Please leave your comments. I love to hear from listeners. All the episodes are available on our website at PickPoison.com, Apple, Spotify, or any other location where podcasts are available. Our Facebook and Instagram pages are both at PickPoison1. Additional sources like references and photos are available on the website along with transcripts. While I'm a real doctor, this podcast is fictional, meant for entertainment and educational purposes, not medical advice. If you have a medical problem, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you, and until next time, take care and stay safe. Stay safe.